his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. It's Beamaz and Beamer. News Radio 930 WBEN. Welcome in to BMAS and Beamer here on WBEN. Brian Mazarowski hanging out with you here for the next hour, talking about a number of things. I'm a little scatterbrained, forgive me. I'm still a little upset hearing that news yesterday. Johnny Ramone's guitar sold for a million dollars. I didn't even get a chance to put in a bid. I don't do do you think it's like a lottery? If they ran an auction like a lottery, I would have had a chance. I would have, you know, a few hundred bucks. And if they just, like, pick a random bid instead of the highest one, I might have been able to win that. But that's that's incredible. He used that every single album, every single show, the exact same one. Nowadays, this is the thing that annoys me the most at concerts. 803-0930 if you want to uh, weigh in on our Volkswagen of Orchard Park text board. Give me a call this morning. The, I've noticed more and more as some of the bands that I like to see get older and especially some of the uh, musicians get more successful that I see, that there's more and more who, I mean, between every single, I'm not exaggerating, every single song, they're, everyone's changing their guitar, changing their instruments. There's a, Even with the best road crew, and even if it's just a little pause, there's a pause in there, everyone swaps it out, puts on something new, and then it's on to the next song. Like, there's no flow to the thing. It's like, hey, look, we, we've become massively successful. We're able to buy a million instruments, so we're going to use all of them on stage. And all I, all, I want, all I want is Johnny Ramone. I want you to use that same guitar from every show from 1977 to 1996. And every once in a while, someone might change a string, but it, if the first two strings aren't broken, you really don't need to change them anyway. That's what I miss. That's what I want to go see. Yeah, I'm still thinking about that this morning. I'm thinking about a number of things. Uh, we're going to you know, jump around just a tiny bit this morning of uh, some of the different items that are in the news. And one of them is something you just heard a few minutes ago. Our Randy Bushover played this. this is the governor speaking yesterday when talking about a vaccination mandate. And this has less to do, by the way, uh, me playing this clip and just kind of what I take from this clip. This doesn't really have anything to do with the vaccination mandate as it just does your general idea of what you want out of government. 
Here's the governor yesterday. My job number one in this state is to keep people safe. Clear, simple. There's no way to cloud that. There's no gray area. I need to keep people in this state safe. And we'll be nation leading with our mandate, which strikes at midnight tonight when everyone is expected in a hospital in the state of New York or a health care facility to have been vaccinated. I believe that California is going to follow suit in a couple of weeks. It's the governor speaking yesterday, Kathy Ockel, where she said, my number one job as governor is to keep people safe. And I, I don't know uh, necessarily about that. I, is that a universally agreed upon thing? I, I don't know if that's 100% the, uh, the popular opinion. My number one job is to keep people safe as the governor of New York State. You know, I hear that and I say, I, I don't know if that's the number one job. I, I don't know if I can replace that with another answer. You know, my number one job is to blank. You know, how would you answer that question? You're the governor. My number one job, Kathy Hochul is answering that. My number one job is to keep people safe. And I, I don't know. I just don't look at government in that same way. And I don't look at the governor of New York State in that same way, where you would say my number one job is to keep people safe. I mean, that's I'm an adult, so I, you know, my number one job is to keep me safe. Maybe I, that's probably not even true of my own self. But I, I don't really need somebody else to keep me safe. And that's all you're thinking about day in and day out. That's, I think that's largely on me, not on you. So, you know, take a little load, load off, right? I, I, you don't have to worry about that. Don't worry about me too much. And my number one job is to keep people safe. I, I don't know if that's the right way to view that position. I said, you know, if my number one job is to help push forward, you know, that's a, the most vague thing, but it's a very... Po- politician political thing to say my number one job is to help us move forward yeah my number one job is to identify problems and come up with an easy solution you know those are things where i could say or where i could see a governor saying you know that is how i view my job but my number one job is to keep people safe i uh, I don't know about that. Is is it really? Is, you know, my the number one job of maybe the health commissioner would be to keep people safe, but the governor of New York, I think your job goes a little beyond that. Your number one job is to ensure that the laws in the state of New York, that the way of operating is something that can, you know, help everybody achieve more maybe is that some i think it's something that's hard to characterize in a sentence it's hard to put out there and declare but when i hear it my the number one job is to keep people safe i i think generally you know there's too, a little too much of that going on in and it's not just in politics it's it happens in school, right? I mean, what do we see on college campuses all across the country? That's their number one priority, the number one idea is, oh, we need to keep people safe. And not just safe from physical harm. That's, you know, that's like a 
20th century way of thinking. We need to keep people safe from anything that might offend you, anything that's, you know, a little controversial, anything that makes you feel uncomfortable. I, you know, when I hear that, my number one job is to keep people safe. I, I don't know if that's totally the best way to, to look at that. And I think that might really complicate the issue, especially as we're seeing it right now. And, you know, I heard that at about the same time I, I read something in The New Yorker. I was trying to get the author to come on. And, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll <laughs> in the back half of the show or maybe we'll hear from him later on this week. Uh, David Wallace Wells in The New Yorker wrote a, I think it was a very well thought out breakdown of how as a public, I mean, generally speaking, we continue to the the headline is we continue to underestimate covid's age discrimination uh, but really the article is just that we continue to completely ignore any sort of disparity between how we look at people and your risk to covid and he digs into data and a lot of it is from the uk and england uh but you know a couple of key points from this is and, and again this will depend on who you ask and what you exactly you're trying to do with COVID. Are you trying to wipe it off the face of the earth? Are you trying to prevent people from dying? You know, again, that's the question that's never answered. But if you look at, and he's looking at mortality data, he's looking at hospitalization data, and he's looking at a number of data points from over in the UK that's provided by their government there because it's tough to get, you know, a large population kind of lumped into one where you can get some accurate pictures of what's going on. And, you know, according to the data that he's looking at, if you're looking at COVID vulnerability in terms of mortality risk, then he says an unvaccinated 10-year-old which we are treating right now in the U.S. as the very picture of being vulnerable to COVID, right? Kids going back to school, not being eligible for the vaccine, or worried about the super spreader. Well, he's looking at the data that's put out in the U.K., and according to that, which is the biggest you know, data he can get his hands on of a, a single population in one general area, an unvaccinated 10-year-old, would have a lower mortality risk than a vaccinated 25-year-old. And this picture continues to play out over age groups, where the younger you get, you are so exponentially less impacted by COVID. Than, and, and he points out this in terms of graphs. <laughs> he puts two inside this article that's very... Um, interesting to look at. And it's the same graph with the same data, just set up a little bit differently. It's death rates within 28 days of a positive test by age. And this is looking at the entirety of the UK from their NHS system. And, and he shows one, and it's kind of this gentle slope upward that, you know, the older you get, you face a, a little bit more of a risk. And then he shows the exact same death rates within 28 days of a positive test by age. And on this graph, what you see is basically nothing, a flat line at the bottom, 
until you hit about 65, and then you can start to see these bars. 70, you see it a little bit more, and then you hit 80, and then you hit 90, and the chart explodes upwards. And what he says is the difference is one of these charts is being shown, and it's kind of skewing the way people think, because one of these charts... On the y-axis, you're looking at something that goes from 1 to 10 to 1,000 to 6,000. And on the other, you're looking at a chart that's set up the way we've always been taught to read charts that goes from 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000. You know, it's set in a linear way. And when you look at it that, you get a better picture of how different the data is when talking about age. So how this all pulls together is that if we have people like the governor talking about my number one job is to keep you safe and we have an unclear picture of your vulnerability to the thing we're trying to keep you safe from, what's the policy going to look like at the opposite end? There was a story out of Albany that says, uh, this is the tweet from Capitol Press Room. It says, when the FDA approves a COVID vaccination for young New Yorkers, public health experts say a requirement to be vaccinated in order to attend public school may make sense. And you're probably going to hear a lot of that. But it, it makes sense if only if we can first define what we're trying to do with vaccination, because if, if you look at it right now, and if we're talking about hospitalizations and deaths and your vulnerability, and we say to everybody who's fully vaccinated, who's over 65 or even over 25 or even over 18 years old in some cases, and if we say to these people, listen, you can pack the arena, don't worry about it, no masks, we've all been vaccinated. That's fine. The risk is very minimal. And you're, you're right. The risk is very minimal when you show vaccination. Then wouldn't the same apply to an age group whose risk is even less? And that would be that age group under 15, under 12, and under 10 years old. So by not clearly defining anything, I mean, you're kind of setting yourself up for all these questions of what's to come, all these questions of what are we doing here, and all this pushback over the idea of a vaccination mandate. And I do think it all kind of starts with that mindset of what exactly the governor is supposed to do. Pat, you're on WBEN. Thanks for joining us. Me? Yeah. Yeah, you're on WBEN. What's going on? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, I got a little statement. Um, you know, I don't understand why Governor Huckle is saying she's keeping everybody safe. You know, that safe also depends for, you know, people being able to survive, like for food and, and um, shelter and stuff like that. That's what keeps people safe, too. And with this mandate that Huckle's pushing to punish the people because they haven't gotten their shots yet, well, it's like this. And you're going to punish them? Well, why aren't you punishing the stadiums that have their concession stands with no masks and no proof of vaccinations serving the people? Isn't that probably passing on the the viral too? 
I mean, let's think real here. All these the politicians are thinking of nothing but revenue. And then they keep flip-flapping back and forth of how they're going to control it and how they're going to mandate it. And they flipping and flapping. And nobody knows the truth about anything anymore because there's been so many stories going on about this. It's pathetic. Hey, Pat, Pat, thank you for the call, and I, I want to say you you right there with uh, what you said last, you probably encapsulated in one sentence the frustration of so many people over the last year, and I can we start a change.org petition, Jimmy, if we can get on this? Flip-flop, I'm replacing it with flip-flap from now on. I like flip-flap better than flip-flop. <laughs> no? <laughs> flipping and flapping, I like better than flipping and flopping. Thanks to Pat out there for that idea. But no, I, that is, when you hear that, and that's the number one priority, to keep everybody safe, you know, that, is that what we want? What should the number one priority be? And, and, you know, if we're to keep everybody safe, as Pat said, where does that end? Keep everybody safe from what exactly? And listen, I'm all for utopia. Everyone everyone loves the idea of utopia. That's why they call it utopia. I don't think the government in the state of New York is how we're going to get there. I, color me skeptical. I, just something tells me that that is not the way that we're, uh, <laughs> we're heading uh, uh, to uh, utopia. But no, it does uh, raise good questions. It does raise... That risk analysis, it is kind of related to the question, and this came up again, by the way, in the NBA now, because they're about to begin their season. Just like in the NFL, all eyes were on Cole Beasley, all eyes were on Kyrie Irving yesterday in the NBA, who's not going to be vaccinated and might not be allowed to play with his team in certain areas. And, you know, it does go back to my point that you, your opinion on their decision and how they choose to speak about it, that's one thing, but and you can still have that opinion, but there is another thing that you do have to keep in mind, and this goes with keeping people safe, and this goes with where do we answer these questions, and how exactly are, are we trying to move on from this, is that you cannot treat somebody like that, like Beasley or, or Kyrie Irving or, or anyone like that, you cannot treat them the same way you treat your grandmother. You can't pretend that their level of risk is the same as somebody who's much older, as the same as even a vaccinated person who's over 80 years old. Because that's not what the data will tell us. And it does raise that conflicting point, right? And, I mean, how many times have you seen, if you're online, like I unfortunately have to be, how many times do you see people point this out? But you're you're asking for it to happen. When you have a packed stadium, like we did the other day, and we will again this weekend, and we hopefully will when the Sabres win a couple of games out at the arena, and it's okay for everybody to be there and enjoy themselves and do this because uh, we have everybody vaccinated and this is the the risk or reward and this is how we uh, you know treat covid 
then when do we afford some of those same opportunities for people who are, you know, kind of naturally at that point, who are naturally at a very low risk for a negative outcome, even without that COVID vaccine approved? And are we really going to go through this, what we're seeing in the healthcare field, in schools? It's already happening on the other side of the country in L.A. They already have it, 12 and up. It's there. But what is this going to look like, this conversation we've been having over the past couple of days with healthcare workers and the vaccination mandate and some dropping out, when instead of healthcare workers, we're talking about school students and we're talking about 5 to 11 years old. Because we know right now that in the next age group up, the lowest age group, where you're able to get vaccinated, it's about 50%. You better believe it's going to be a lower number when you get into that 5 to 11 group. And what's going to happen then? Are we really going to be talking about, all right, we're going to kick X, Y, and Z out of school? We're going to go through this fight. We're going to add another distraction to the upcoming school year? Or are we going to, you know, hang on, look at what's happening in other countries, look at a country like Britain, look at what's happening in the UK, where they too are, they're talking about boosters for elderly people. They're looking to get that out. They're not an anti-vax country, but they are advising against vaccinating Teenagers, even those who are already eligible here in the U.S., even those uh, for which they have a vaccine that they've studied and said, yeah, we can give it to teenagers if we want to. But they're looking at that mortality risk. They're looking at that overall risk in a different way. Maybe they're looking at that different graph. 803-0930 if you want to join us at all throughout the day here on WBEN on our Volkswagen Orchard Park text board. Or by giving me a call, you're listening to Beam as in Beamer on WBEN. It's Beam as and Beamer. Now, Brian Mazarowski and Joe Beamer. News Radio 930 WBEN. Thanks for being with me. Beam as in Beamer here on WBEN. Joe is back tomorrow, by the way. Pretty sure, at least. Uh, Joe will be back tomorrow, so... Looking forward to that, but uh, still with me for another little bit here on WBEN, talking about some of the governor's comments yesterday. Here's what Kathy Hochul had to say. My job number one in this state is to keep people safe. Clear, simple. There's no way to cloud that. There's no gray area. I need to keep people in this state safe. And that's how she is viewing the job as governor. My job is to keep people safe. And, you know, I heard that, and I don't know, that always makes me a little bit uncomfortable because, you know, I I feel like I got this. You know, I don't don't necessarily need the – when I go to the polls and elect any uh, official, anywhere from the clerk to the governor and, uh, you know, anything in between, uh, it's not necessarily my number one thing on my mind. Who's going to keep me the safest? Um, because at least as an adult, I think you kind of move on. You know, at some point, keeping you safe is your personal responsibility. And what do we mean by safe? 
that's not quite clearly defined. Brenda, you're on WBEN. How's it going this morning? Uh, it's going very well, very well. Very good subject that you picked to talk. And, and uh, I just wanted to, the way I see it is that it's not a punishment against the medical uh, people that work in the healthcare field. It's just the result of the decision that they decided to do. When you go into the health field, you, you go in with the chance. If, if, if you are a health care worker and went in for it to help people, and this is not just a job, you would want to have the environment pretty safe for everybody, especially I have a 91-year-old mother. I want everybody to be uh, – I want a, a, safe a safe and healthy environment for her. And also I'm looking at, too, we looked at the governor – and and people, uh, Governor Cuomo, and he uh, got he got put, you know put under the bus about sending people to the nursing home to die, but yet still you, you're talking you're telling me and from what I'm seeing is that uh, you don't you know you work in the health field but yet still you're looking more at yourself and not more at the at the people that you serve. Hey, I appreciate the thoughts. I, you know, want to ask you one question because I don't necessarily disagree with your thoughts, especially on this particular topic. Oh. I, I guess my my thinking is, where does it stop? If we have the mindset of we're going to keep you safe, even if we agree with that on principle, without a clear definition of what safe means, I. Is it problematic a little bit to you to, you know, kind of say, well, this is what our our calling is. This is what our job is to keep people safe. But you know, we're not going to 100 percent go into what people means. And, and while this might make complete sense in the healthcare setting right now and where we currently stand, I are we going to move this into more and more gray areas? Uh, do you think about it in that terms at all? Okay, what uh, are you talking? Gray area? You mean in other areas too, or or is this or other areas like I know they have been talking about the uh, someone mentioned the Rich Stadium and the concessions. However, the Rich Stadium is a sports venue and that's not a health care venue. Rich Stadium has to speak for itself. Where where the health to me of people is more important than. Uh, than really than sports, especially those of us that are ill. We would uh, 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 experience I had one time is that I had to I, I fell and I had to get uh, stitches in my mouth, uh, which I did. And the doctor, the nurse was to come in and give me the medication. However, she was writing on the on the chart with a pen. Then she came in. She went to the medicine cabinet, got the medication, had it in her hand, and put it in a cup. I didn't take it. For the simple reason, I had open sores in my mouth, and, and her hands were dirty from that pen, and no telling whoever else used it. So, you know, those are, which I did report, those are the type of things that uh, are done in the hospital, and, and, and those are the type of things that uh, bring up infections. So I just, you know, I, I told her, she, she, was nat she was mad that I did, but... I, I wasn't going to put that in my mouth. I wasn't putting those pills in my mouth because I, I could have got um, septus or something like that. I had an open sore. I had open mouth sores. Hey, I, you know, Brenda, and that is 
you making <laughs> taking that upon yourself to make that decision and do what you feel you need to do to keep yourself safe. Hey, I appreciate the call. Thanks for listening, Brenda. I, and there is a, I, I think what Brenda's main point is, is in this, and this is why it starts with healthcare workers, right? Because in this setting, it would make perfect sense if in the setting where we're trying to battle COVID, we would generally want people who are less susceptible to getting or spreading COVID themselves, right? And that's, I mean, it kind of is common sense. It does make a lot of sense to a lot of people. So it's going to be, if we're going to put a mandate in place, generally speaking, the healthcare worker mandate is going to be the one that I think goes along the easiest at the start. And and then you start to ask the question, well, what is next? If that's our mindset is we need to keep you safe, where does it go from there? And what is the definition of safe? That, that to me, is generally the problem with that line of thinking. And I just I, – I don't understand that, as I said before, it's not something I need from government. It's not something I've ever thought uh, a government's number one job should be for me is to keep me safe. You know, I – that's my job, to keep me safe. I don't even know, you know, I think about parenting. A lot of people like to talk about that sort of mindset as, you know, the, the mommy state, right? But I don't even think as a parent that's always the top thing on your mind going forward. I mean, it's definitely a top thing. I mean, you certainly as a parent, you'd want to keep your child safe at all costs. But at some point, too... There's also, you know, this other thing of you know, helping them grow, of like pushing them along, of being nurturing. I mean, that's how I would describe a more of a, um, you know, if someone wants to call this the mom, which I've seen a few times on the text line, the, the mommy state. I think it's uh, saying that my number one job is to keep you safe is more the, the paranoid state. That's the always on alert, you know, oh, no, what's going to happen? You know, we have to watch out for you because we're the only ones capable. And we've heard that from politicians. And this is not the this wasn't the governor who said this, but this is just other throughout the state, throughout uh, many areas of government. This mindset that we can't trust you to make that decision. We're going to have to do it ourselves. And this is what we're going to do, because my job is to keep everybody safe. But if you have that mindset without a clear definition of what safe means, where where do we go? What are we doing? You know, are, are we talking safe from COVID and then it ends? Are we talking getting safe from dying, being safe from being sick ever, being safe from financial ruin, being safe from, you know, any number of different things, being safe from being hit by a car, being safe from this or that, and it just becomes more and more burdensome the further along you go with it. Which is why I don't think that that should necessarily be the mindset of the top elected officials in office. I I mean, it maybe should be something else. And that's kind of what I started off asking for help is, is I, I don't want this to be the top priority. But I don't necessarily have an answer for you as to what I think the top priority should be or, you know, what would replace that in my mind. 
Um, you know, would it be something, you know, my top priority is not to keep you safe. My top priority is to, you know, maybe it is the mommy state. Maybe it is to to nurture, to nurture development. And then what is that, you know, uh, physical development, development of people. I, maybe that is a, a better way to look at it and make sure your schools are, you know, your school buses are showing up on time. You're getting people to the building and that the doors are open when you get there. That's maybe not a bad idea. It's, could start doing that. Um, you know, is it to nurture in the development of helping? Okay, you want to build up an area. How can we assist you? I'm not trying to do everything for you, but how can we not stand in your way and, and you know, help you get to that point? But the whole idea of, you know, living in the, the safetyism uh, world, I, it, it is permeating more and more, and there is still no clear definition to it, and, and it's still not to me, the way you want to run through. I, you know, you want to be kind of safe. You, you do want some safety measures in place. You do want stop lights to work and, you know, the red and green to sync up. But aside from that, I mean, how much of a hand do you want somebody reaching into your home telling you, hey, my job is to keep you safe, so that's what we're going to do. I, and maybe that's going into the workplace a little bit. There's an interesting article in the Washington Post that was uh, put, and I've seen this with my own eyes walking around, I'm not going to call out people, but walking around in this office. And I, I don't know if this is necessarily the same safety discussion, but I think it's turning into a lot of people's everyday lives. Uh, the headline was funny to me. Workers are putting on pants to return to the office only to be on Zoom all day. And how many of you have had that exact same experience? Because I, that's what I see a lot. And it's not just in our building, but it's, you know, through friends who I talk to who are going back to work and yet kind of doing the exact same thing that they've been doing at home, right? The article in the Washington Post saying the reality is they're still spending most of their time isolated, glued to your computers for Zoom meetings, email, Slack. And then there's hybrid working options now where people can generally choose whether I'm going to be at home or in the office. So the only way to communicate with a whole bunch of people is to do the same things you were doing when everyone was at home in the first place. Which to me, I kind of thought that the return to work, the return to the office, the return to getting back to normal, which you heard so many people were trying to do in September, now maybe push back to the beginning of next year was to bring back some of the collaborative nature of people being with each other that we missed throughout the course of the pandemic in the last 10 months when everybody's at Zoom. But I think what more and more people are finding is that's what they're looking forward to, only to return to the office and say, well, you know, we're kind of half ready for this. Uh, we still want everybody to be as separate as possible. We don't really want you to interact face-to-face, -face, although you'll probably do so right after you get out of work. Uh, so we're just going to do the meetings on the computer. We'll talk to everybody that way. You can stay in your own space. Uh, and, you know, we'll, we'll communicate that way. But welcome back. 
<laughs> Welcome back to the office. So uh, there's a, a few people posting here. Uh, someone said it was definitely a bummer. They tell the story of one person who went back to work, ended up in a new temporary office to be a little more isolated from other people. That was a windowless cinder block room, which is a little depressing. Your home might be getting old, but it's probably better than a windowless cinder block room, going to guess, hopefully. Um, (laughs) The people talking about being on a computer, you're on the same video conference, one person at a desk, and then somebody right across the room, the other person, you're on the same call, even though you're looking right at each other. How, How often is that happening? Probably a lot. And then the hybrid working options mean that, you know, you're there one day, gone the next, and maybe that will far outlive the pandemic way of living. I wonder how many offices are looking at what's been going on in the past couple of months and looking at this and saying, you know, this hybrid thing, I like the idea, but... We're going to have to make a decision of either going back to the office or everyone's going to work at home because meeting in the middle is only like half doing things. It almost to me would seem to be more complicated if I was in charge of running things. Now, all right, who is in here today? Is so, Am I meeting with somebody face-to-face? Are we doing this over the computer? What is the uh, thing? You know, at least if you're all working remotely, all working from home, you wouldn't have to make those decisions. You just kind of know. I'm sitting in this chair, not moving anywhere for the next eight hours. <laughs> and I'll see everybody's face online, uh, which is its own little. I, I don't enjoy how everyone has kind of become just a, a face. on. Socializing through a computer screen is no way to go through life. You just kind of view people as another box on TV instead of an actual person which you kind of used to do face-to-face. But I don't know. It seems to me that that's the – and maybe that is part of the keeping people safe, right? Maybe that is in that. Somebody uh, is chiming in, working at a local bank, uh, bank has to stay home until January. So uh, soon they're going to have to be in the office, hoping that they don't go back. I, you know, I I liked coming back to work when it was time for me to get moving and get out of the home. Just a a couple of months, two or three months was just a little too long for me without getting and moving somewhere. And another person chiming in saying uh, they Googled what the state governor is responsible for, implementing state law and overseeing the operations of the executive branch. You know, that would be, that is the actual definition. That's a little bit more of a crystal clear definition uh, than what we got yesterday from the government to keep everybody safe, which again, I don't know, not exactly my uh, not my idea. I when when does the keep safe end? Because if we're keeping safe, we're gonna have to put bank alerts every time I buy a stupid new band T-shirt or hat, like I did last night right before I went to bed. That's why you can't do Instagram for kids, Jim, because you're on there. You're scrolling through. You're about to go to sleep. You know you shouldn't be. You put down the book. All right, let me pick up my phone to set my alarm. I just stumbled upon that. That's the first thing where I went wrong. Alarm clock should have never went away. You pick up your phone to set your alarm, and then, all right, what else is going on? A little notification here, something over there. You scroll through Instagram. Hmm, what's that? You click a link. 
and then all of a sudden you bought another T-shirt, right? I mean, that's if we were interested in keeping me safe, we would stop me from spending money and being nickel and dimed out of a, a paycheck by buying things that we don't need. And maybe that's the next step. First, it's COVID, and now we're going to stop uh, Instagram from being so good at their targeted ads that they know exactly what I want to buy and listen to at that exact moment. I think that might be the case. We'll go uh, over to Pat. You're on WBEN. Pat, what's on your mind? You know, Brian, uh, the government is charged with protecting us against ourselves. Consider smoke detectors. 50s, 60s, 70s, they weren't mandated in homes, but we saw an overwhelming number of people being killed in fires. So we instituted laws requiring smoke detectors, and we've seen the number of deaths decrease. Uh, consider this. Uh, during the... Uh, 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 I can't think now. Uh, but anyways, the government is charged with protecting us from ourselves. Uh, and it's their, their main obligation. Uh, when you take a, an oath, you take an oath to the Constitution, and it says that they're charged with protecting uh, the people uh, here from enemies, domestic and foreign. And I think you could argue that this COVID outbreak is an enemy. Uh, no more, no less than uh, smallpox was or any other that required government intervention with rules. I saw an interesting op-ed piece that said, if you're against the vaccine, if you're against masks, consider the next time you go in for surgery, telling the surgeons and the people in the room, they don't have to wear masks uh, to protect you against their germs. I mean, these are pretty straightforward common sense stuff, but in this time of alternate facts, uh, when we have PhDs representing themselves as doctors without uh, saying that they're not really medical doctors and have no uh, uh, base of knowledge in, in medicine, uh, we're going to get these conflicting reports. But again, it's up to the government to protect us. Uh, that's why you have DWI laws. That's why uh, they have crib recalls, uh, because the government protects your child against faulty cribs that could suffocate them. Yeah, you, you know, Pat, you bring up a good uh, point, and a lot of your examples are are good in that they're black and white, right? I, I mean, smoke detectors, is, and thank you for the call. Enjoy talking with you, Pat. Uh, smoke detectors is not something, I, find me the detractor to the smoke detector. Right? I, it's just such a, a clear, common sense thing, but it's not always that way. And government is not always acting in the same way to, uh, you know, protect you and what is and isn't a threat. And these change by the year, by the idea. Marijuana was such a threat. I had a police officer come and tell me to never touch it when I was in third grade in school and it was banned and illegal and we're locking people up and come next year, you can buy it in a store near you. And, uh, you know, gambling is uh, not great. It's bad. But we'll allow one casino here and then soon on your phones, lottery tickets. And smoking is bad, but we're not going to ban smoking. We're not going to ban cigarettes, but you can't smoke them in certain places. And so I agree with, you know, part of what you're saying there, Pat, and it's an interesting way to look at things. And maybe if there was more consistency, 
right, that it would be easier to accept. And maybe if there was a defined, you know, a black and white idea, a clear definition of what safe means, like a smoke detector, then it's easier to accept, right? But it's not always the case. Um, Ideally, it would be the case, but, uh, you know, it doesn't always fall into those black and white categories. Appreciate the call, though. Appreciate uh, everyone for hanging out with me over the last hour. Like I said, Joe is uh, most likely back tomorrow. Okay, maybe not. Who knows? Uh, so BMAS and Beamer will come back. Uh, thanks for listening. You're on WBEN. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this... Why? ...a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.